When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of the hosts of the podcast, my name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here, the other side of the podcast. Dude, wildcard weekend, currently still going on, but the games, bro, definitely ain't disappointing. Hey, uh, dude, I was just about to say the same thing. Just pretty much the entire weekend, I think it's been phenomenal from beginning to end with what these playoff performances across the entire NFL have been and granted we still have the Rams and the Cardinals game upcoming on Monday so that should definitely provide some fireworks as well it could honestly be the best matchup of the entire slate for the uh wild card round but all in all bro we got some games to get into you ready hell yeah all right so first things first um we had quite an epic collapse take place in Dallas Texas on Sunday and that is because the Dallas Cowboys once again Fall short in the playoffs, losing to the 49ers by the score of 23 to 17. That is going to be a really fun segment to dive into. We're mostly just going to predicate the segment for that one around just who deserves the most blame for the loss that Dallas suffered against the 49ers. After that, we are going to transition into one of the Saturday games that took place where the Buffalo Bills straight up demolished the New England Patriots on Saturday night, winning by the score of 47 to 17. They had seven straight drives that resulted in a touchdown. It is pretty much the, what you would probably consider a perfect offensive performance from beginning to end. And the bills definitely sent a message to the entire NFL with that big of a win over the New England Patriots. So we'll talk about that a little bit more extensively once we get to that segment. After that, another Saturday game that took place. Pretty compelling game between the Raiders and the Bengals, but the Bengals do end up on top, beating the Raiders by the score of 26-19. Uh, the Bengals end their 31-year playoff drought with the win over Vegas. Uh, we'll just talk about just the impact of their first playoff win in over three decades, and really... We'll focus on how Cincinnati can continue that success going into the, the divisional round later this week. And then after that, we're going to focus on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers taking care of business by defeating the Eagles by the score of 31-15. to 15. It was a relatively pretty decisive win for Tampa over the Eagles. The 15 points that Philly scored were pretty much garbage time points. I mean, Tampa was up 31 to nothing in that game. In the third quarter. So Tampa takes care of business at home. And then we'll talk about just the statement that Tampa sent to the NFC and to the NFL to a larger extent with routing the Eagles with that performance. Now, currently, the Chiefs and the Steelers game is going on while we're recording. So we will be providing updates as the episode goes on. Granted, you know, when you guys hear this, this will be after the fact. But we'll pretty much round out the episode, really just kind of like a quick summary 
of the game that's taking place between the Steelers and the Chiefs, but it does look like the Chiefs are off to a pretty good start in the first half. So pretty good chance that the Chiefs are going to be advancing to the divisional round, but we'll get there when we get to that point in the episode. But that's the episode that we have for you guys, so let's not waste any more time. Let's dive into these segments and let's get to it. So like I said at the top, the Cowboys fall in dramatic fashion to the San Francisco 49ers at home, losing by the score of 23-17. to Dallas did make some sort of a comeback in the fourth quarter, getting it to within one uh, one touchdown towards the end of the game, but they weren't able to make some plays, string them along to get them into scoring position. And the Cowboys ran a pretty odd play at the end of the game where Dak runs a QB draw up the middle for about 20 yards, but they weren't able to get the ball snapped to spike it to get one more playoff. And the 49ers, because of that, they advanced to the, the divisional round in dramatic fashion over Dallas. So let's transition into uh, the question that we have. So Kevin, to kick this one to you, who deserves the most blame for the Cowboys loss against the 49ers by the score of 23 to 17? going to be honest it's to me Kyle and I were talking about this my entire drive home from my girl's house it's it's the players man and 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 I know it's hard to say that because the players are prepared with the coaching staff or by the coaching staff you're supposed to get your team ready you're supposed to give them discipline and all these different things but at the end of the day the players are the only people on the field the players are the only people that can execute and go out there and go and make an impact 14 total penalties are not a positive impact. 89 yards of penalties are not a positive impact. The time of possession on the offense is significantly less than what the 49ers had, and that is in part because the offense was inept for basically three quarters. The defense could not stop San Francisco for three quarters. Now, can you blame the coaching staff to an extent for maybe not preparing them enough or maybe not going hard enough in practice? Potentially. It's unfortunate because the way the world works, a lot of these coaches will get the axe despite the players underperforming. In this particular instance, I have to say the players. Dak Prescott didn't play too well. The running game, Ezekiel Elliott, Tony Pollard played absolutely atrocious. I'm sitting here and I'm looking at this stat line and I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm looking at Zeke had 31 yards, 2.6 yards per carry. The Dallas Cowboys as a unit, 77 total yards rushing, 3.7 per carry. Dak Prescott leads your way with rushing yards per attempt at 6.8 and a rushing touchdown? That's embarrassing. I don't understand. Dak Prescott also goes for a QBR of 27.2. Had a turnover. It just it did not bode well for the offense of Dallas. The almighty Trayvon Diggs was blown out of proportion and absolutely looked like garbage for the majority of this game between blown coverages and not being able to stick to his assignment. Um, Micah Parsons made an impact, but of course, Micah was shook early on in the game. It could look like maybe some COVID-19 um, existing symptoms between, you know, exhaustion, maybe shortness of breath. He was consistently on the sideline with oxygen. So maybe he came back a little too soon, but definitely I'm 100% putting this on the Cowboys players to have more discipline, or should I say they did not have any discipline, and then they weren't able to execute until it was too late. Now, the, the game ended on somewhat of a controversy, not that many people know this, but you cannot snap a ball until the referee places the ball at the yard line in which the play ends. 
you can't just bring the ball yourself and snap without any you know repercussions. There, there are rules in set and there are rules in place. Now, to put context to that, what Kyle had mentioned earlier with Dak Prescott's run, the clock was ticking. They had no timeouts, and they took the ball by they. The Cowboys took the ball, and they placed it down where they believe the play had ended instead of giving it to the referee to place it so that they could snap it and, and, and spike the ball. You can't just take it upon yourself to go and create a rule like that and just disregard what rules have been in place for years. You guys weren't ready. You guys played pretty bad all game. And, I mean, like, I'm looking at Dallas's schedule, and I was telling Kyle this before. They did not play too many teams that were above 500 in terms of competitive football. They played the Bucks at the beginning of the year and lost. They played the Chargers, dodged a bullet there. They played the Eagles, so three straight above 500 teams now if the season, as the season ended. Then they go and play the Panthers, Giants, both teams under 500. They beat the Patriots. They beat the Vikings, Vikings under 500. Broncos under 500, Falcons under 500. They play the Chiefs and the Raiders and lose, obviously, both teams over 500. The Saints, who ended up under 500, they won. Then they go on this little win streak where they go and place the Washington football team, the Giants, and Washington football team again, under 500. They play the Cardinals, they lose, and then they play the Eagles sports string, and they win. So they haven't played meaningful football prior to the Cardinals game since Thanksgiving. There may be 12-5, and five, but like Kyle always says, the NFC East is a shit show. And if you go undefeated in your division, that's six free wins. Everybody outside of the football team and the Giants, really, like, can you consider that to be competitive football? They're a fraud, 12-5, and the streak continues, and the Dallas Cowboys fall again. To me, not a surprise whatsoever. But for you guys to sit there and blame Kellen Moore and freaking Mike McCarthy and Dan Quinn, maybe I can understand Dan Quinn because the defense got annihilated. Maybe I can understand Kellen Moore for the late-game play calling, but your offensive line was getting smoked. They weren't disciplined at the line of scrimmage, and Dak Prescott failed to cash in. They paid him, what, Kyle, $70 million this year in that first year of his contract? Yeah, he threw 40 touchdowns, but did he get a postseason win? Nope. I mean, Kevin, there's not really much else that I can add to what you said, but I'm pretty much going to limit it to like these two main points. The two main reasons for why the Cowboys lost this game are, are fairly simple. Lack of discipline. And not owning the line of scrimmage. I mean, Kevin, it's like you said, 14 penalties. And some of these penalties were so atrocious. You would think a team that was 12-5 and during the regular season would have some sort of discipline going into a playoff game at home against the surging 49ers. But they kind of followed what they've been the entire season. The Cowboys have been one of, if not the most penalized team in the NFL throughout the entire season. And it shows up in the most inopportune time going up against the 49ers in this wild card matchup. And the second point is just not line, not owning the line of scrimmage. I mean, Kevin, Dak Prescott got sacked five times this game. I, I, the 49ers had an amazing pass rush throughout the entirety of the game. I mean, Tyron Smith, their left tackle, who had only given up like three or four sacks the entire season, was getting blown up on that left side of the offensive line the entire game. And Dak, to his credit, was able to string some plays along. But, dude, 
it was a struggle for that Dallas office to get any sort of momentum in that game. They only scored seven points through the first three quarters. So you have to give a lot of credit to San Francisco's defense showing up and making a huge impact with that pass rush and just owning the line of scrimmage because Ezekiel and Tony Pollard were not factors in that game from beginning to end. So it was really the main two points that I wanted to bring up. And if I had to bring up a third one, it's just that Dallas continues to struggle in the playoffs once again. This is now 26 straight seasons that they have not made an NFC championship appearance. I think they only have like three or four wins as a franchise in the playoffs in that time frame. So Dallas is just kind of living to their own expectations as far as these results go in the playoffs. And for Dallas, it's just an incredible failure. This is a team that I think a lot of people thought that could possibly make an NFC championship appearance with the way that this roster was constructed. And finishing at 12-5, and I think there was definitely some confidence going into the playoffs, but they fall short and just kind of like they've always been the last 20 to 25 years or so, 20 to 25 years, excuse me, they just fall apart when the lights are shining the brightest and they let one slip once again. And Dallas is going to have to take the entire offseason, kind of look themselves in the mirror. This was a game that they probably should have won. Had they cut their turnovers and penalties in half, they probably win this game. But it's Dallas in the playoffs, bro, and they fall short once again, but you got to give credit to San Francisco. They made enough plays despite playing pretty bad in the fourth quarter, but they made enough plays to get them this win over the Cowboys and advance to the divisional round. So you got to give a lot of credit to San Francisco in that regard. Listen, I made the prediction for a reason in terms of having faith in San Francisco to go in there because they have, like Dallas hasn't played anybody meaningful, like I made in my point, in months. You know, the, the 49ers are going out there, and they're in the toughest division of fucking football, and they're out there barely making the playoffs on the last day, mm-hmm. and they're going to go into Dallas with arguably one of the craziest X-factors in football and Debo Samuel. The man had 72 fucking rushing yards against mm-hmm. Dallas. Mm-hmm. Like, that's no accident. He is 100% one of the most dynamic playmakers currently in the league because of how he can affect the game. In multiple facets. Dallas was unable to stop him in the air, on the ground, flying in the sky, fucking carrying, fucking military drop. However it is, he was on the field. And he was cooking them. There's no excuse here. There, there, there's, there's no saying that Dan Quinn didn't have him ready on the defensive side. There's no saying any of these things. Bro, you got to execute. That's the bottom line in this sport, bro. I could pay you $100 million. That doesn't guarantee that you're going to play good on Sunday. You need to go out there and you need to execute. And Dallas didn't do it. Point blank, period. That is it. And shout out to the 49ers, bro, for real. Yeah, I, I mean, Dallas, I, you know, a lot of Dallas fans are going to blame Mike McCarthy for this loss. I, I can't because with the way that this team was playing throughout the entirety of the game, just the lack of discipline that they had. And just these penalties that would that they would pick up in just the worst times possible. I mean, Mike McCarthy standing on the sideline looks like he's ready to have a stroke half the time just because they were just making the most costly mistakes that you can make at the worst time possible. 
that's not on Mike McCarthy. Like the, the coaches can't go out there on the field and play the game. The players got to go out and execute. And whether it was the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side of the ball, man, the, those penalties, they killed Dallas in that game. It's just, it's kind of Dallas's MO in the playoffs, though. When the tough gets going, they fall short. And at the worst time possible, they just can't rise to the occasion and beat a really good San Francisco team that's been playing pretty inspired football the last month or so. But, I mean, that's a tough one to lose at home, bro. And and the thing is, I know that San Francisco didn't necessarily play that well in the fourth. Not in the fourth. Quarter. No, the 49ers gave Dallas some chances to get that game at the end. But Dallas screwed themselves, bro. I mean, some of these these holding calls on the defensive side of the ball, it's unacceptable. I mean, Randy Gregory, for God's sakes, I think he tackled one of the polling guards on like second or third down in like one of the last drives that the 49ers had in the fourth quarter. And you take away that penalty. I mean, you're talking about a third and 10 with about like a minute 40 left. And all you got to do is get one more stop, you know, and then you give Dak some time to possibly go down the field and score a touchdown with like maybe like a minute 10 left in the game. But Dallas didn't get the ball back until like they had 30, 35 seconds left in the clock. So it's just, it's really unfortunate to see Dallas' season come to an end, but I'm not really surprised, though. This is kind of who they are. And once again, early exit from the playoffs. But I, I do have to ask you, now that we do have the the San Francisco-Green Bay matchup set up going into the divisional round, just kind of like what's your quick take on that matchup as you see it? I think it's going to be a really good game. I am curious to see what ends up happening with Nick Bosa. He did leave today's game with a concussion. There's no clear-cut decision on whether or not he's going to clear protocol before the next game. And that's detrimental. Let's be honest. Mm -hmm. One of the better, more elite pass rushers in the league, if he doesn't play, Aaron Rodgers isn't going to see a lot of pressure. No disrespect to the rest of the pass rush of San Fran, but Nick Bosa demands a double team. So – we will see what happens there. Aaron Rodgers is one of the hottest quarterbacks in the league. And then, of course, we already know that San Francisco's offense itself can produce. It's just a matter of are they going to be able to keep up with Green Bay's offense? That's my opinion. But that's just, you know, we'll see what happens. And it's not only that. Fred Warner left that game with an ankle injury late in the game as well. So I thought it was a lot worse. It looked like he was grabbing yeah, his knee. It, it, it looked like he like had a huge like knee injury. I thought it was a non-contact, possibly like a torn ACL. But I, I think they said throughout the broadcast during that, that Cowboys 49ers ankle. game that it was an ankle, which was kind of weird when he was holding on to his knee. Yeah, but, it was weird. But I think he may come out unscathed from that as far as like from a potentially – uh, season-ending knee injury or ankle injury, excuse me. But they're going to need him if he's available for that Packers game because that defense is going to have to play inspired football um, to possibly make some sort of an impact against Green Bay. Oh, Kevin, yeah. Are you, Kevin, are you watching this? I'm looking I'm looking at the Chiefs game right now, and I'm just like, okay. yo, it's 28-7. to 7. Did Najee Harris just fumble? Well, wait, wait till you see what happens on the next play. Oh, my God. Tyreek Hill touchdown. Jesus, it's a blowout. I'm turning it's, it off. I'm not even watching it. Bro, it's 35 to 7. Yeah, I'm turning it off. I'm not even watching it anymore. <sighs> That's oh, well. just, uh, yeah, I mean, Pittsburgh got off to a good start, but, man, they 
Oh my God. Dude, yeah. We called it though. This was this was the most boring game of the weekend. No disrespect to Pittsburgh, sadly, but when your quarterback makes light of it in practice, like I can't take you serious. Yeah. But you know, I mean, we we were gonna say that you know the Chiefs had a good chance of possibly winning that game by three possessions. Yeah. I mean, at the at the low end too. They yeah. Win this, this one by is... four possessions. It's it's bad, bro. Yeah, it's, it's a wrap for them. It, it is it, what it is. Yeah, but um. But yeah, I mean that forty nine. Was... What's up? My transition was was gonna be there was another pretty bad fucking blow this weekend, but you know what I'm saying? I was gonna let you kind of break that in yourself. So you know what I'm saying? You know, finish finish what you're saying. Yeah, no. It's okay. About... We didn't make the playoffs. I can't talk shit. I acknowledge my team sucks. We lost to the Jaguars. So before people come at my neck, I'm well aware we suck. But goddamn that ass whooping in Buffalo yesterday was ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, just gotta rub it in while you're at it, too. I mean, I'm geez. sorry, bro. But you, I picked you for you, you to win, you though. Could, I picked, I wanted y'all to win. I wanted you to be could. right. I don't like when I'm wrong. I'm gonna be honest with you. I before we dive into that segment, when we were doing our picks for that game, I was I was going with my heart, not my head, because in my head I was kind of thinking I was like, I thought the Patriots had somewhat of a shot to win but the, the the bills were the favorite to win that game without a doubt and uh for god's sakes uh they definitely showed it so uh, yeah we'll dive into this bills and patriot game there's no other way to say it the bills absolutely annihilated the new england patriots on saturday night winning by the score of 47 to 17 it goes without saying that josh allen and the bills offense played a perfect offensive game that scored seven straight touchdowns and then ended the game kneeling the ball in victory formation. It is probably one of the most stunning victories that I've seen from the Bills in quite some time in the moment uh, that was placed upon them. And to beat New England by 30 points in front of their home crowd for their first playoff win since, uh, unfortunately, losing to the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game. That is a one way to start the playoff run for 2022 for the Bills. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, what statement do you think the Bills sent to the entire NFL after throttling the Patriots 47-17? to Now, this isn't like the Steelers game, right? This isn't like you're blowing out a bad football team. And to, to, to me, the Steelers are, in, again, in my opinion, relatively a bad football team. They made the playoffs by a technicality with other people losing and then winning their final game, and they're playing one of the best teams in the AFC. So I'm not going to go out there as far and say, you know, like, they beat a bad football team. It is what it is. No, 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 no. They beat a division rival. They beat a team that pretty much embarrassed them earlier on in the year. And yeah, they got their redemption for it, but it's in the postseason, so this game means a lot. This was the rubber match. Josh Allen has been getting that narrative of not being able to lead a team. He had a slump this year in terms of how he was playing inconsistent multiple times. Sean McDermott was being questioned for not being able to coach well enough on offense to put um, Josh in a position to win. The run game is always in question, especially for me and Kyle. The defense after the Colts game where we annihilated them was kind of going up and down between Poyer and Micah Hyde getting that inconsistent question. I think genuinely this game put the Bills right back in the conversation of a potential Super Bowl run. 
You end the year the way that you did. You go into the postseason, and you don't just beat a division rival. You don't just beat the first opponent in the wild card. You spank them by 30. And the fucking Patriots are a damn good football team. Rookie quarterback or not, you have Bill Belichick at head coach who has countless postseason appearances, wins, Super Bowl titles. Everybody knows the resume of the Patriots. Tom Brady there or not, the team is still the Patriots. You have a great personnel group on the defensive side, arguably a defensive player of the year candidate with J.C. Jackson leading the league, or should I say, excuse me, um, I believe he was behind Trayvon Diggs in total interceptions, correct? Yes. So you have plenty of players. You have Matt Judon and the rest of the defense. The list goes on. The point I'm trying to make is the Buffalo Bills slapped the New England Patriots, and it was in perfect fashion, as Kyle stated. Josh Allen was 21 of 25 with a perfect passer rating, five touchdowns, 308 yards, and he also had 66 yards rushing. He did everything there needed to be for a quarterback to be successful. He did everything that was needed for his team to win, and he dominated. And they actually ran the football effectively, 174 yards on the ground. So that narrative was also kicked to the curb. The Buffalo Bills found a way to dig deep, look at themselves in the mirror, and say, yo, we're the fucking Bills. This is what we need to do to win. And Josh Allen and the boys showed it, man. Kyle put it, it can't be said any better. Seven straight possessions, seven straight touchdowns. That has to be something in NFL history because that, that, that feat in and of itself is incredible. Kyle and I were actually kind of spitballing back and forth before we recorded to say, like, you know, like, Kyle asked if, if this was one of the better performances in postseason history. And I was trying to make an argument that it wasn't, and I still don't believe that. But, I mean, the way that the Bills went about this, so methodically, so skilled, and so organized, it felt like this was meant to be from kickoff. And, listen, Mac Jones is a rookie. He's got a lot to improve upon. Obviously, the Patriots weren't able to run the ball as effective because they were down so much. It's going to be fine. We all know that the Patriots will find a way to bounce back. But for the Buffalo Bills to do this convincingly in the manner that they did, I think that this puts the Bills right back in that conversation, bro. If they can, if this can be their spark plug to make a run, this is the spark plug to have. And man, oh man, I don't want to play the Bills next week. I don't give a shit who you are. Yeah, I, there's not much else I could add to what you said. Um. The Patriots got bullied. Like, this was just a straight-up beatdown, and the Bills played pretty much as perfectly as you can against the Patriots like they did on Saturday night. Just, I mean, from the start, I mean, Josh Allen was on fire, and no matter what the Patriots' defense was able to scheme against him, Josh was just lighting them up and carving up that defense like a freaking turkey on Thanksgiving. Like, it was (laughs) surgical. I mean, the Bills, just from the start, you could tell that they knew the significance of what this game held. It's like you said, this was the rubber match for the entire year after they split the season series 1-1. And they just blew the doors off of the Patriots. I'm of the mindset that pretty much the Bills played a perfect offensive game. And to me... I think it's one of the greatest NFL playoff performance offensively in NFL history. I mean, granted, we've seen some higher scoring outputs from some teams that have played in the playoffs, but 
the way that the Bills were able to do this against the second-ranked defense in the entire league, it was just stunning. And carrying that momentum into the divisional round of the playoffs, bro, you got to pray for the next team they go up against because if the Bills play inspired football like they did against New England, there is no team that could beat Buffalo if they can play to that standard. So, you know, if you're a Bills fan, you got to revel in this win against New England, but it is one win in the wild card round. You're moving on to the divisional round. And this team definitely can have Super Bowl aspirations if they desire it. Now they just got to go out there and keep on playing the way that they did against New England. And if they do, really the sky's the limit for them because the way that I look at it, Buffalo as a unit, offensively, defensively, special teams, they're one of the most well-rounded units in the entire NFL, and now they're playing like it. So, you know, congrats to Buffalo for a huge win against New England. But as far as I'm concerned, it's one game. Now they got to improve upon it and try to play inspired football going into the divisional round. But Buffalo is not a team you want to go up against right now after that banking that they handed to the Patriots in that wild card round. Who would they play um, next in the, in the next round? Uh, they would probably play Cincy, I think. That's gonna be, that'd, that'd be a really, really good game. Yeah, I think they, I think they would play Cincy. Um, well, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, if that is the case, you would have you'd have Joe Burrow going up against Josh Allen, and Joe Burrow has been playing lights out football really the last month or so. And yeah, he, we'll get I, into I, him I, in a second. I, yeah, I know, but um, dude, just the way that the Bills have been playing, um, you know, I know that there there were some question marks going into this game about Buffalo's toughness. People were questioning Buffalo really after that home loss to the Patriots just about a month and a half ago. They were they were down bad, my guy. Defensive players were getting called out. The coach was getting called out. People were calling them as soft and not ready to take that next step forward. But, man, if you want to rebuff those criticisms... They did that in the best way possible against New England. And um, I mean, look, as a Patriot fan, I've seen some bad losses by New England. That one is definitely up there. I don't know if I would consider it the worst because I remember back, I think it was in 2003, uh, the Patriots played the Bills on the season opener. And I remember that was when Tom was the starting quarterback and we lost that game 31 to nothing. Yeah. It was in one of Tom's like worst career games ever. Pittsburgh um, scored, by the way. Yeah. I just saw that. I think Deontay Johnson had that touchdown pass. Yeah. That was um, our boy. For fantasy until I traded him. But no, uh, you know, for, for the Patriots season, you know, it comes to an unfortunate end. Um, it really is an embarrassing loss. Um, there's not really much to, to get mad about, though. When you can beat that soundly, you really just kind of have to give it you have to give it up to Buffalo for the way that they played. They just wanted it more. They outcompeted New England in every single facet of the game and they just straight up dominated them. And when you get dominated, bro, you got to take it in stride. You got to just roll with the punches and then just kind of like 
just go into the offseason and just try to have some sort of forward-looking mentality because there's not much else you can do about that. It, it was never a point where New England could have made this a game. I mean, it was 27-3 to at halftime. People were making the jokes on Twitter about, oh, we got them right where we want them. It's 27-3. to We've been here before. Bro, I don't even think Tom, had he stayed with the Patriots, could have brought them back in that environment. I, There's no way that that Patriot team was going to beat Buffalo, even if Tom was on that team. So Buffalo just had their number. They played outstanding football. And to me, it's probably one of the best offensive performances I've ever seen in the playoffs. I mean, it was literal perfection. I mean, seven straight touchdowns, my guy. Something you want to I, say to something you want to say to a certain somebody, certain fan, certain friend, certain former coworker, certain Bills fan. Greg, I I I got to give a tip to the cap for Buffalo, bro. I I got to. There's there's nothing else I could say. Um, when you get beat that bad, you got to give them props, bro. And I know New England has really kind of whooped on Buffalo for pretty much the last twenty years or so, but. To do it in the manner that they did against New England uh, this past weekend, bro, I, I, I got to give them props. I got to give them credit. They came to play. They weren't messing around. And they, they beat the living shit out of the Patriots. So, you ain't lying. You know, but it's the wild card round. Yeah. You know, for the Bills, I, I think they have higher expectations than just a wild card win over the Patriots. So, to me, Job's not done as far as I'm concerned with Buffalo. They still got some they still got some competition to go up against, but you know, all in all for that performance, job well done. You gotta give him gotta give it up to him for that. Mm-hmm. Speaking of competition, this current opponent, or should I say this current team, would be the Buffalo Bills opponent come next week. Cincinnati Bengals ended up beating the Las Vegas Raiders by a score of twenty six to nineteen. Kyle mm-hmm. Joe Burrow's been on a tear. Actually, and actually, I mean, actually, it would be the. Uh, I, I don't. I don't think that they p- would play. Um, I try to remember the seedings. I think since he had the uh, highest seed plays the lowest seed. The Bills are the sixth seed, right? So no, the Bills would play the Chiefs. The the Bills no the Bills were the three, Bengals were the four. Yeah, so the Bills would play the the Chiefs. I think we no. Hold on a second. Hold on. Yeah, because the Titans the, are the one the, seed. The Titans are the, the one Bengals seed. The Bengals are the three. The Bengals are the three. You guys were the five seed. Because it was four five. No, we were the six seed. Were you really? Yeah, we were the six seed. So Buffalo is three. New England is five, so, six. So Buffalo, Buffalo would play KC. I think yeah, we, screwed that, we screwed that up earlier. Yeah, we screwed but, Okay, that's fine. Oh, my God. A rematch of the AFC Championship. Oh, wow. That's a big-ass headline. Yeah. That, bro, that's... Shit. I, yeah, I guess we screwed that up earlier, but that is, that's that's going to be one hell of a matchup because I, I totally forgot about the Titans in that whole equation. Yeah, they're, they're a forgettable, irrelevant team. The point I'm trying to get to is Joe Burrow played sensational in his in his first postseason game. Guys, I'm I'm a Colts fan. I have beef with the Titans. They're not relevant. They're the number one seed in the AFC for a reason. Derek Henry's coming back. Blah, 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 whatever. Anyway, God damn it, Joe Burrow, spectacular you would not know this is his second year in the NFL. The way that he has been playing this season, the way that he has carried this team, the way that he has poised to put himself and his team ahead of everyone 
is just absolutely insane. And I mean, it was a good game. It was obviously just a seven point game, seven point victory. But uh, the, the Bengals came out on top. So I mean, Kyle, what did you, what did you think of this game, dude? I know you actually have a question in general. I just, I have to, oh, I, I'm trying to change it up. Like, what did you think about the Bengals' performance and their first postseason victory in 31 years? No, I, I think it's great for Cincinnati. I think they finally kind of get that proverbial weight off their shoulders by not being able to succeed in the playoffs. But with the way that Cincinnati played against the Raiders, I thought they played inspired football. And really to me, the one thing about Cincinnati when I look at them as a unit is they're relatively young, especially on the offensive side of the ball. This is Joe Burrow's second year. You got Jamar Chase. You got T Higgins. You got Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon's probably the, the veteran presence on that offensive side of the ball. But really, these young guns for Cincinnati, they were able to step up in these high-pressure moments in that game against Vegas this past weekend. And I thought that they excelled pretty well, by and large, for the most part. They were able to get some points early on in the game, get a little bit of a lead over Vegas. And to me, Joe Burrow played within himself throughout that game. He didn't get too flustered by the moment. He didn't try to do too much. I thought he had a relatively smart game, this being his first playoff game. I mean, 24-34 as far as uh, passing completions, two attempts goes. Had about 250 yards passing and two touchdowns to go along with that. That's a pretty good performance if you're looking at it from some sort of Cincinnati perspective. And I thought Jamar Chase in his first playoff game, I thought he played extremely well to his credit as well. He had nine catches for like a buck 15, extremely effective on that side of the ball for Cincinnati. And then on the defensive side of the ball, they did let up some plays to Vegas throughout the later parts of that game. But in the biggest moment of the game, Vegas is marching down the field on a two-minute drive. Derek Carr gets them within the red zone with just about you know 20 to 30 seconds left to go. And Vegas is looking to try to tie the game up. And to Cincinnati's credit, they were able to force an interception off of Derek Carr on a fourth and goal opportunity to get the ball uh, back in Joe Burrow's hand. And then they went into victory formation and sealed it. So... You know, as far as Cincinnati is concerned, the biggest weight off their shoulders as far as that 31-year playoff drought comes to an end. And really the biggest thing moving forward when it comes to them is maintaining that level of comfort going into this matchup against the Titans in the uh, divisional round. Because from all accounts, it looks like the Steelers are going to get destroyed by the Chiefs. So the Bengals are going to go up against the Titans. Now, Kind of similar situation. These young guns for Cincinnati have to step up in a big way. They have to limit their turnovers, limit their mistakes. But, you know, good on Cincinnati. But the biggest thing moving forward is maintaining that success and maintaining that consistency going up against a really good team in the Tennessee Titans in a divisional round. Dude, it's, it's so weird. I've been saying this the last month or so. Joe is different to me. I don't know what it is. I don't necessarily understand why. We've seen a bunch of number one picks come out before, and we've seen them dominate, and we've seen a lot of busts too. But to me, 
Joe Burrow just looks like somebody that's been in the league for so long. You would never know that he was just drafted two short years ago. I get that the team as a whole is young. I get that everybody around him is looking to put Cincinnati back on the map. You know, Zach Taylor was brought in a couple of years back. I I don't know what it is. To me, Cincinnati's just a scary team. Usually those young teams that come out of left field that really kind of turn it up towards the playoffs and then, of course, in the playoffs, really, really, to me, kind of be kind, are, are kind of the most intimidating teams because they don't know what it is to lose in the playoffs. They're riding a victory right now. They just won their first playoff game. The city is happy. The fan base is happy. The organization is happy. The quarterback is confident from the regular season now in a postseason game. It's like they always reference in basketball. You just got to see the ball go in. Dude. You just got to score. You just got to keep the turnovers to a minimum. You just got to find a way to win. And they did all three. And like Kyle said, the defense came up clutch when it needed to. Derek Carr looked to be driving for another, what looked to be another game-winning drive for the 2021-2022 season. And he just falls short. And, you know, the, the Raiders are a good team. The Raiders showed fight at the end of the year. So I tip my hat to them. I'm not going to sit here and shit on them and say that they didn't deserve to be there. But obviously, with... Once again, just like Pittsburgh, with all of these win situations, lose situation, the the Raiders definitely did what they needed to do in order they you know in order to make the playoffs. They won out, and other teams losing definitely made a difference. Derek Carr showed big time to me that he is a quarterback that does not shy away from big moments, and I think that he likes the pressure personally. Uh, but I just think that he needs a better team. There's rumors circulating that he may want out of, of Vegas, you know, obviously with the coaching situation and all the personnel issues and the front office issues. Um, he might want a fresh start, and there are rumors that Indianapolis could be interested because they're not happy with Carson Wentz. That's a narrative and a story for an entirely another day. The point of the matter is Vegas started off hot once again like they always do. They faltered. They go through the drama that they did, like I had mentioned, with personnel and coaching. They come back, they find a way to sneak into the playoffs, and they perform just a little bit under of what people had expected. But again, big kudos to Joe Burrow and that team. They are now moving on to the next round, and I am curious to see how Cincinnati is going to progress throughout the rest of this postseason. I mean, when you look at the matchup of Cincinnati going up against Tennessee, really just kind of like what are your expectations about that matchup going into this week? I think it's going to be a shootout, personally. Not that both defenses are good, but Tennessee gets Derrick Henry back. Obviously, Julio Jones and A.J. Brown are going to be well-rested. And then you're going to just basically have, like I had stated in my last point, a hot, youthful, and ready-to-go Bengals team. Mm -hmm. Both teams' offenses are relatively hot when their personnel is ready and healthy to go. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, if this ends up if this ends up being a a game where 28 30 40 points are back and forth it's going to be about as i always say funnily ironically what defense is going to make a stop i don't know if derrick henry will be on a pitch count i don't necessarily know if julio jones with him missing the last couple of weeks of the regular season if he will be on a pitch count as well it all really depends on how mike Vrabel is preparing for that game and i mean i just can't wait to see what's going to happen man to me it ain't Joe Burrow versus Ryan Tannehill. It's straight up about to be the Cincinnati offense versus the Tennessee offense. Who's going to score more or who's going to fuck up first? That's what I'm excited for. I think like the main thing going into that game, I think Derek, as far as Derek Henry is concerned, 
I think he's going to get 25 carries. I think they're going to utilize him right from the start. I mean, the guy has been recovering for the last two months, but bro, he's going to get 25 carries. They are going to pound the rock with Derrick Henry. And as far as Cincinnati's defense is concerned, they have to try to maintain that line of scrimmage as best as possible. Because if Derrick Henry starts getting busy early, when it gets to those third and fourth quarter drives that Tennessee has, and he's still getting big chunk plays, bro, Cincinnati might be in some trouble. I know we're not gonna do like a we're not gonna do like a preview of the game uh go this early in the week. But really the main thing to me is Cincinnati's defense is gonna have to somehow contain Derrick Henry coming off of you know eight to ten weeks of rest. And as far as Cincinnati's offense goes, I think pretty much maintain what they had against Vegas. Try to limit the turnovers and limit the amount of mistakes that you can. And as far as Joe Burrow and a lot of these younger players in the offense goes for the Bengals. Play within yourselves. You know, don't allow the moment to propel you into some sort of playing style that's above your caliber. You know, make the plays that you can. Try to establish some good drives. You're going to be playing on the road in a pretty hostile environment in Nashville, Tennessee. And this is going to be some good experience for these young guys because... You think that going on the road during the regular season is one thing. When the playoffs arrive, bro, these crowds get electric. And that crowd noise is going to be a huge factor in this game between the Bengals and the Titans. And the Bengals got to be ready for that. So this is going to be a tough matchup for the Bengals. There's no doubt about it because Tennessee is coming to play, bro. There's no doubt about it. And it's whether or not that Cincinnati is going to be able to hold off that early rush of Tennessee's fans really getting after it because they're going to be loud. Like I said, the only thing I'm curious about is to see if Mike Vrabel takes the uh, the handcuffs off of Derrick Henry. Again, we don't know the significance of his injury in terms of recovery time. I know he was cleared and activated, but if I'm Vrabel, I don't necessarily think I'm putting him in with no restrictions right off the bat because what oh, if he hurts himself again? Oh, I would. Is he clear? Uh, that's what I'm saying. That's why we're not doctors and we're not NFL head coaches because that's the franchise. What if he gets hurt again, he may miss not only the remainder of this playoff series, what if he misses all of next season? You know what I'm saying? Like you have to be smart. This is your franchise. You just gave up that paycheck. See, see to me, this is the playoffs, bro. It's time. It's go time. But did he get brought back too soon? They, they kept saying he would make it by the playoffs. But yeah. thankfully, they got the buy. So, again, we just have to see, will he be ready? Will he be put in first, second, third down like he is, like he normally got? Will he be 30 carries into a game and still play to his effectiveness of a few months back? We don't know. They're still going to utilize Ryan. 100%. As, you know, it's not going to be like it's, it's Derrick Henry, Derrick Henry only. No, they're going to utilize Ryan Tannehill in the play action pass. But to me... I think Derek's ready to go. I think he's been chomping at the bit ever since he's been out with that injury that he sustained kind of halfway through the season. So if he's 100%, they're going to use him. And I think yeah. I think Derek is ready. I think Derek has been ready to go as since you know recovering from this injury that he's had. And I think as far as I'm concerned, he's going to be a main factor if the Titans win or lose that game, because if he goes off, 
that definitely bodes well for Tennessee. And if he doesn't, I can go against him too. So a lot riding on that game for Tennessee, but I think Derek, he'll be ready to go. I'd be surprised if they had him on some sort of pitch count. It's playoffs, bro. It's go time. Yeah, no, you're right. It, it, it is. I'm just, you know, again, we're not doctors, medical professionals. So, guys, we don't know if he's going to be on one. It's just got to be aware when you come back, somebody of his size, somebody of his magnitude and total usage, you rush him back too soon. I get it. It's postseason. You got to put it all on the line. But if he's not fully healthy and this is just a ploy to be a decoy or just somebody that they need to prepare for that they don't necessarily utilize completely, the NFL may seem like a, a physically grueling and just like this ta- like not, not tactical league, but you got to think about strategy in the playoffs and the longevity of the long haul for the remainder of it. So, um, you know, we'll like I said, we'll just kind of have to wait and see how that goes. Yeah, but I mean, he's at the last two and a half months off, and I know a lot of that time has been in regards to recovery. But you know the the. These next three, four weeks, this is a huge stretch if they're trying to get some sort of Super Bowl run. You've got to maximize the opportunities that you have at your disposal. And unless he's not 100%, unless he's, you know, only 75% healthy, I don't really see him being on some sort of pitch count. If he's at 75%, then maybe I could see that. But my. Yeah, but they're not going to tell us that. You know what I'm saying? My gut feeling is he's ready. My gut feeling, if they activated him, there's a very good chance that he's going to be a major piece for that team offensively going into that game. So that's how gotcha. I see it, though. Yeah, but, makes sense. But with that said, we're going to transition into our next game, and that is going to be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Philadelphia Eagles matchup. So kind of sim- kind of similar to uh, the Bills and Patriots game, the Buccaneers took care of business defeating the Eagles by the score of 31 to 15. At one point, Tampa was up 31 to nothing in the third quarter. Philly was able to get some garbage time points in the later stages of the third and fourth quarter. But by and large, Tampa Bay came to play and pretty much routed the Eagles in a decisive win to advance to the divisional round. So Kevin, to kick this one to you, what sort of statement do you think Tampa sent to the NFC with the way that they beat the Eagles 31 to 15. Well, I think that they put the remainder of the NFC on notice to say like, you know what? We've been struggling. You know what? We have injuries, but we're finding a way to get it done. The Eagles were fully healthy with no, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? No COVID players. Everybody was uh, active and ready to go outside of Josh Sweat, who apparently had a life threatening procedure yesterday. So, you know, hopefully he's okay in terms of like his health, but, um, yeah, man, the, 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 the Buccaneers found a way to dominate and dominate early. I know that the Eagles sacked Tom Brady, I believe, what was it, five times, I believe? Uh, four times they were able to get back to Brady. But consistent pressure from Barnett, Fletcher Cox, and the rest of those boys. So, I mean, the defense is trying to find a way to keep them in. It was just a matter of was that offense going to be able to put up enough points to try to keep up with Tampa's offense, and it wasn't. Tampa's defense relatively pitched a good shout-out outside of like what Kyle said, um, outside of some garbage time touchdowns in the fourth quarter. But listen, man, Tom Brady's 44 years old. Tom Brady is out here leading a team as if he was in his late 20s, early 30s. Tom Brady is playing great football as if he was back in New England 20 years ago. It's honestly insane that at his age, he is playing at such a high caliber, high intense level. 
And with the injuries that this team has sustained, you would figure there would be some lull, some form of a hiccup in certain places. And granted, there were some miscommunications and some passes, especially between Tyler Johnson and Brady early on. But they found a way to right the ship, pun intended, Buccaneers, Pirates, haha, um, and kind of move on and get and go forward from that. And I think that that shows volumes with the coaching staff. I think that that shows volumes with how much they trust Tom. And, um, you know, the Eagles just couldn't get it done. Kyle and I made the prediction. If Jalen Hurts is going to be relied upon to throw the ball plus 30-plus times, it's, it, historically and statistically, it does not bode well for Philadelphia. The play calling was atrocious from Nick Sirianni, all the bubble screens and not utilizing Devontae Smith. I think that Jalen had some bad reads, especially that interception before the half where they, he threw it to, uh, to Edwards and Devontae Smith was kind of open literally in the corner of the end zone. But Jalen's got to develop, man. If anything, if, if this showed me anything with Philadelphia is that I cannot trust Jalen Hurts go forward in terms of being a consistent day one starter for next year. There should be some competition going into camp. But in terms of back to the Tampa Bay side, um, this showed the NFC, like I said, that, that, that they're still the defending champs. They're still here. And, I mean, God, when this game happens of the winner with the, the Rams and, the, and the, um, the winner of the Rams and the Cardinals game, it's going to be one hell of a game because Tampa's offense was just on another level today. And that defense was really, really – able to get to the backfield of Jalen Hurts, was able to keep the hottest run team in the NFL um, secured and locked down for the majority of this game outside of one big run from Boston Scott. So I would say they're not the greatest team in the league right now. They're not the hottest team in the NFC, but the narrative of them being a little bit shaky, maybe not being able to take care of business, I believe that that is starting to dwindle away because of how quickly they were able to handle Philadelphia as fast as they were. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess the biggest takeaway from me with this Bucks win over the Eagles was just how good their defense was early on. Because the way that I see it, Tampa's defense was able to own the line of scrimmage really throughout the first three quarters of the game. It just seemed like the Eagles' offense could not get anything going. You can blame that on play calling to a certain extent if you want to, but you got to give a lot of credit to. Tampa's defensive unit just showing up and being able to make life uncomfortable for Jalen Hurts, Miles Sanders, Devontae Smith, and the rest of Philly's offensive personnel throughout the entire first half and large stretches of the second half as well. And that to me is a big key moving forward because we always kind of focus on the Tom Brady aspect when we get to the playoffs, whenever he's around on, whether it's the Buccaneers or the Patriots. But if this defense can play inspired football moving forward like they did against the Eagles in the wild card round, it bodes well for Tampa in a big way moving forward. I don't know if I would call them the best team in the NFC yet, just because I think the Packers are slightly better than them. Just the Packers played better throughout most of the season compared to Tampa, even though they had the same record at the end of the year. It's just the one thing about Tampa that has kind of been a question mark for me is their offense to a certain extent. I don't think that this Tampa Bay offense has hit its peak yet as far as its performances go. I mean, they did put up 31 points against the Eagles, and there's I'm not going to slouch on that point, but it just seems like there are moments in some of these games that Tampa plays where they get into these stretches where they just can't get a lot of offensive 
performance or they can't execute in sometimes significant stretches of the games that they play in. Did this kind of help? Yeah, maybe, but this game is kind of indicative of that point of just this team is just not humming on all cylinders offensively. They're still putting up points. They're still making plays when they need to, but it's just not to the level that I think Tom Brady has for the offense, not what the coaching staff has. It's good enough to win the games, but I don't think that they're comfortable with just certain levels of execution compared to last year, because the team offensively last year, I think played at a higher level throughout large stretches of the game this year. It's kind of been a struggle throughout certain stretches of the game, but all in all, Tampa's in a good spot right now. They have another home game going into the divisional round. And to me, Tampa is, is in the driver's seat as far as their destiny goes. And it really is kind of on the shoulders of Tom Brady moving forward. But if this defense can play inspired like they did against the Eagles, they're going to be a tough out in the NFC playoffs as far as I'm concerned. I couldn't agree more. Um Last year's team seemed like a very well-oiled machine. Obviously, them being the wild card team and having to overcome the entire deficit of you know consistently traveling and having to beat um, every single team on the road. It looked like it was kind of meant to be, especially with the Super Bowl being in Tampa, which was just absolutely insane that that still happened. But you look at this team this year and having to overcome literally what it feels to be like everybody hurt. I mean, Leonard Fournette's hurt. Ronald Jones is hurt. Chris Godwin's hurt. I mean, you name it. Richard Sherman, who didn't necessarily play a pivotal part on the team, but still was a, a, a free agent signing to try to help the depth of this, um, you know, secondary. You look at it and you say, well, shit, how do they get better? How do they overcome such struggles? And I mean, when you got one, two leading the way, uh, both in the locker room and on the field, and, you, you know, big kudos to fucking Bruce Arians. Apparently, he partially tore his fucking Achilles. He's still standing on the sideline. He's still fucking sitting there getting animated and, and, and getting into his players' faces. Like, that's one tough son of a bitch, bro. Like, an Achilles injury, athlete or not, is one hell of a shit to recover from. He's sitting there with an ice pack on it like, you'll put me in, bro. Like, I don't give a shit. I will slap the shit out of one of my players if I'm if they're not playing up to par. And I really respect that and, like, you lit it's it's indicative of how that team plays football. Your head coach is going through shit. Your head coach is like 70 something years old and he's still on the sideline. Ain't no excuse for you not to play your heart out. And I think that Tampa Bay is really going out there and doing everything that they can. I mean, who the hell is there running Vaughn? Like, who is that guy? And he went out there and he had himself a good game too. Mm-hmm. So you know, despite everything that they have going, I think that they're they, they they reminded people that they can still get it done as long as Tom Brady's under center. Well, to me, it's pretty simple, and I mean, everybody kind of knows this at this point. You got Tom Brady on your roster. A Super Bowl run is always possible, whether you actually make it or not. That's another subject, but you always get a shot to get a possibly to possibly get a Super Bowl title with that guy on your roster, but he's just one guy, you know, it's a 53 man roster. It's a 46 man roster on game day. And you got to be able to play top tier football. If you want to get not only to like the NFC championship game, you want to make it all the way to the Super Bowl. And when you see guys step up like Keyshawn Vaughn, you see guys step up like Mike Edwards. I thought Mike Edwards had a great game defensively against Philly. 
you know when you get those kind of those unsung heroes kind of those guys you don't typically hear of whether it's on the offensive side of the ball or the defensive side of the ball you get those guys to step up make some big plays it galvanizes the entire team and it just energizes the team to go out there and make the most of the opportunities that they have on the field i mean to me one of the biggest plays in that game against the eagles was when Shaq Barrett got that interception on fourth down from Jalen Hurts. And then literally the next play, Tom Brady gets the ball, throws a 35-yard deep crossing route to Mike Evans, scores a touchdown, pretty much the dagger as far as that game was concerned against Philly. I mean, at that point, it was 31 to nothing. The game was over. But, you know, it's stringing those big plays along and then making the most of it. And in the playoffs, just those big momentum plays can be huge. And you just got to capitalize on them when those opportunities present themselves. But I think as far as Tampa is concerned, to me, their road to the Super Bowl this year is easier than last year. But the difference with this year compared to last year is they're just, bro, it's like a triage unit. They have so many injuries on both sides of the football. It's going to be tough for Tampa to get to the Super Bowl this year. Now, granted, they they did make it to the Super Bowl last year, winning three straight road games to play the one home game in the Super Bowl against the Chiefs. But it just seems like this year it's going to be tough. There's going to be some big fights that they're going to have to go through, whether it's in the divisional round against the Rams or the Cardinals, or if they get past that, they might have to play the Packers in an NFC championship game. And then you got to go up against a really good team like Kansas city, Buffalo, potentially Cincinnati in the Super Bowl. If you get there, it's going to be tough for Tampa to get there with all the injuries that they've had, but you got number 12 back there slinging the football at 44 years old, like the way that he is. It's tough to bet against that still. Yeah, no, you're not lying. So I'm going to actually kind of call an audible myself and I know that I had mentioned them earlier, and I know that we have said consistently that that division is quite a bit of a dumpster fire. But there are a lot of narratives currently circling around in the social media realm right now where people are saying, fire Nick Sirianni. Kyle, I know you're not as indicative or intuitive within the Eagles organization, but from what you saw, mm-hmm. do you really believe that Nick Sirianni is completely at fault here for the Eagles' complete collapse against Tampa today? No, not really. You could maybe say offensively he was, but the defense got shredded today. I mean, the the, the play calling offensively is one thing. I, I think when it comes to their play style, it highlights where Jalen is in his career at the quarterback position. To me, he's still a college-type quarterback. To me, he is not what I would consider an NFL-level quarterback because a lot of the plays that they run with Jalen it's honestly like what he was running back in Alabama or in the one year that he played at Oklahoma and it's a lot of these read option plays and he hasn't shown me the ability to be able to deviate away from that and take that next step forward to show me that he is not only a competent NFL player but that he could play it NFL style of quarterbacking and to me that that is kind of a significant point to make because i think it holds back 
Eagles, the Eagles offense and their play calling to a pretty significant extent. I think that they actually have some solid personnel at their disposal as far as their wideouts go and their running backs go. I think that Miles Sanders in the backfield is a great option for them when they utilize him properly. I think that Devontae Smith, the wideout that they drafted this past year, he's shown some pretty solid flashes in his early tenure as a Philadelphia Eagle. But to me, now granted Jalen's only in his second year. He still has a long way to go. But to me, I I have to see some sort of progression. Now, granted, this was his first full year as a starting quarterback for the Eagles. So it is a learning experience. And I think he can definitely improve on his game as he goes farther into his career. But to me, I don't think he's going to, I don't think he's going to excel as the Eagles quarterback running this college style offense. I think in certain moments, it can work to his benefit. But with the way that Tampa's defense played against Philly today, offensively, I mean, Philly didn't score any points until late into the third quarter, and then they were able to get like a garbage time. No, they didn't, they the didn't, score, to, they didn't score to the fourth, bro. I, I mean, it. it was 31 nothing in the third quarter for a reason. And it was because mm-hmm. Philly's offense could not get anything going. And I do think that stylistically, there's going to have to be some adjustments with the Eagles' play calling whether that's going to involve Nick Sirianni getting fired or bringing somebody else in. Time will tell on that. I don't think Nick Sirianni is going to get fired. I mean, they did make the playoffs, so i got to give the guy a little bit of credit for getting that team to the playoffs. But there's a lot of there's a lot of room left for this team to improve. But, I mean, that's just the offensive side of the ball. Defensively, you know, they were able to get a pass rush against Tom today. I guess that's kind of like one element that you could kind of like say, well, at least pass rushes there but there were some stretches in that game against Tampa where the secondary could not match up against Tampa's personnel you're down 31 nothing on the road in a playoff game that is not a good look so the Eagles have some room to improve for sure they did make the playoffs so that is kind of I guess one benefit for them but We'll see when it comes to Jalen. I think time will tell as far as his progression goes. And he may take a big step forward next year now that he has a full season as a starting quarterback underneath his belt. But for Philly, there's some room for for improvement for sure as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I mean, obviously, you already know with girlfriend's family, it's my second favorite team. So I watch them pretty much every Sunday. I wouldn't say as intently as the Colts, but I watch them whenever I can. And, you know, obviously with my team not making it to the playoffs, I was kind of sold on just being hunkered down and and, and giving them my undivided attention and watching it with my girlfriend's dad. We were both kind of in the same boat of questionable play calling today. Um, Jalen Hurts just wasn't having it. It wasn't really uh, wasn't really a good look. Kyle and I, we already predicted that if he had to be the sole reason for them to, I guess, win or their only source of offense, that wasn't going to bode well for them from the jump. So I'm looking at Nick Sirianni mainly for the for the play calling. Devontae Smith didn't get involved until the fourth quarter when it was too late. I think those bubble screens like Kyle already uh, uh, elaborated to was – it's too college. It's too – Kitty, it's too, it's not mature enough for an NFL offense and the players that you have on that personnel 
Don't get me started on Jalen Rager. They should have had Justin Jefferson. That is 1,000% on the front office for butchering that draft pick. Two fumbled and muffed punts. The man cannot create separation. He has dropped multiple passes. He is just, to me, utter uselessness running up and down that field. So that's a whole other conversation. The RPO thing is just a little bit redundant. You already understand that Tampa is probably going to stack the box the majority of this game, especially early on, because they know that you're going to run the ball and try to establish the line of scrimmage. You forced the ball to Dallas Goddard 12 times today, and he only had five catches. You try to force the ball down the field to Quez Watkins about six times instead of Devontae Smith. You check down to your running backs a total of like eight times today instead of Devontae Smith. He's legitimately your best player on offense, and you don't target him until the end of the game when it's way too late. That is 100% on Sirianni. Multiple times they were called for some uh, offensive holding or false start penalties, so there were some discrepancies there. But Kyle already said defensively, weren't able to stop a cold. Now, my biggest thing on that side of the ball is you have Darius Slay. You have an all-pro caliber, Pro Bowl type of corner that you are paying a lot of money. Now, I understand there's different defensive schemes that you run for certain teams, but you have Mike Evans, no Chris Godwin, and Rob Gronkowski on the offensive side of the ball for Tampa. If I am, I forget his first name, Gannon, another Colts former coach, um, I'm looking at Darius and I'm saying, bro, you're playing him all day. You are not letting Mike Evans touch the fucking ball. And that just wasn't the case. They kind of schemed to try to put Darius in different locations for a zone. They tried to play different one-off coverages. And it just it ended up not boating well. And as you can see, it ended up with Tampa being as victorious as they was, or as successful, excuse me. And, um, yeah, Philly's got potential, man. But until they start to change that, until Jalen starts to develop, I stand by what I said earlier when I made my Tampa segment take. I think that there needs to be some kind of controversy, excuse me, competition in camp this offseason because Jalen Hurts' decision-making still isn't there. I don't care if he did not play an entire season last year. He's got 16 games plus however many he played the first time or the first season. He has to be able to confidently look at his receivers, look at his options, and say, all right, I'm going to make this throw. I'm going to throw it away. I'm going to check it down. There's too many instances all season long where you see Jalen – hesitate and before you know it he's forcing the ball down the field he is making a bad throw and it just I don't know man Jalen's got to show me a whole lot more before I can confidently say yo he's definitely the Philadelphia Eagles starting quarterback for the future because I get it it's Tom Brady I understand it's your first postseason game bro you cannot do what you did that pick to Shaq Barrett awful that pick to freaking what's his first name Edwards the safety I think it was Mike Edwards yeah you can't make that throw. And a lot of times when he's trying to step up in the pocket, trying to get a little too shifty, dude, throw the ball away, check it down. It, it, that's the biggest problem with a lot of these quarterbacks, man. They're too focused on the big play instead of the next play. So definitely some maturity, definitely some adjustments on the defensive side of the ball for Philadelphia. But I agree with Kyle, 100% room for potential, especially with Devontae Smith. Man, he is going to be a problem for the next couple of seasons if he can stay healthy. Yeah, I, I don't think there's really anything else that I could add uh, to the points that you made about Philly. I will give a little bit of credit and a little bit of respect to Jason Kelsey's mom. As you know, she she has two sons. One of them plays for the Philadelphia Eagles. The other one plays for the Kansas City Chiefs in regards to Travis Kelsey. 
she traveled to the Tampa game to watch her son go up against the Buccaneers today and then flies out to Kansas City to go watch her other son, Travis, play in the AFC wildcard uh, round against Pittsburgh. I think I was just kind of like reading the tweets. She, I think she made it like, I don't know if she got to the start of the Chiefs game, but the fact that she was at both games in the same day, you, you got to give her a lot of credit. You know, Shout out Mama support, Kelsey, bro. Yeah, so supporting both of her sons. You know, Granted, the, the Eagles game did not go uh, the way that she probably wanted to, but with the way that the Chiefs have been playing, um, at least um, there's a little bit of a benefit or there's a little bit of a silver lining in it all, knowing that uh, Travis was uh, a big part into why the uh, the, the Chiefs are probably going to get this win over the Steelers. But yeah, I just want to. I, I I wanted to give uh, a little bit of credit for uh, for Mama Kelsey for uh, being able to make the trip not only to the Tampa Eagles game, but to the Steelers Chiefs game. That's a it's a pretty big day, as far as I'm concerned. Travel day, travel days are always tiring. She you ain't lying. So, but I I will say this: there was it was kind of funny. I, I think I've told you this before. When I went to the Super Bowl last year when the Buccaneers were playing the Chiefs, we were walking into the stadium. And if memory serves me right, we walked past um, Travis Kelsey's family as they were walking into the game. And I could kind of tell because um, one of the um, one of the older uh, guys in that group had a jersey on that said Papa Kelsey on the back of the shirt. And I kind of assumed that that was either his dad or his grandfather. I'm assuming it was one or the other. And But but it looks like they were all part of the same group and it looked like they were all going in at the same time. But um, I just thought, I just thought that was kind of a, an interesting point to make. So, you know, they, bro, they, they travel as a unit. So... It's a good family, you know, bro, as 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 it should. Yeah, I mean, bro, Travis is balling out with KC right now. Jason's been playing his heart out on the offensive line for uh, for Philly. So, bro, they got some good genes as far as I'm concerned with being able to prove, to produce some NFL level talent. So good yeah, on Case, them. Uh, the Kelsey family ain't no joke, bro. And obviously, you know, both of them being Super Bowl champions, which is just cool in and of itself to say I didn't raise one. I raised two Super Bowl champions, two All-Pro at two different positions, two Pro Bowls. Like, bro, that family dinner must be like, I got a ring. I got a ring too. You know what I'm saying? It must be so funny, their banter. And Travis always seems like a a very fun, loving, goofy kind of person. And Jason always looks a lot more serious. So I can't imagine what they're like together at like, like a Thanksgiving type setting. Oh, dude, that Thanksgiving dinner, bro, you got to have like two, three turkeys. Because, bro, that family... With those boys, bro, they eat. Yeah, probably. 100%, bro. So probably. You, you got to come with the portions ready to go when it comes to family dinner. Because I know them. Those dudes are those dudes are in the league for a reason. So, Some big boys. Yeah. But you want to talk about this, uh, this Kansas City Steelers game? Not really. I mean, we all said it. I mean, Steelers tried to come back and they scored 21 points. So, I mean, it wasn't that bad but 
Chiefs scored yeah. 40, 42, bro. I mean, I, I guess to kind of like form some sort of question, I guess, it's to pose it to you. What do you make of Kansas City and just this resounding win over Pittsburgh? It's it's expected. I, I can't really sugarcoat it. It's genuinely like they're probably the best team in the AFC. I'm going to put that out there. I don't care about Tennessee. I'm not saying that biasly. I just genuinely think that Kansas City has done more over the last two months than Tennessee has. Um, and, and Patrick Mahomes is hungry. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. He had a terrible performance in the Super Bowl last year. His team's got a bad taste left in their mouth. Defense is playing up to par. It's it, Pittsburgh is one of those teams that makes the playoffs not because they're good, but because they found ways and nooks and crannies and loopholes and other teams lost that I just genuinely feel that no matter what happens, they can't be taken serious. Najee Harris is good. Juju Smith-Schuster came back. I hate Chase Claypool. Deontay Johnson is good. (coughs) It's Ben Roethlisberger's last year. Excuse me, I just talked to my spit. I can't necessarily look at them and say that this was ever going to be a competition. The only way I could have seen this is, God forbid, you know, like a Patrick Mahomes injury. You know what I'm saying? Like, or one of those games like early on where Patrick Mahomes has to do too much. And that just wasn't the case. Ben's doing everything he can. Uh, you know, he's a 90 passer rating, two touchdowns, 171 yards. He's not keeping them out of this game. But they just don't have enough to keep up, man. And, and Kansas City putting up 21 in the second quarter really derailed any potential hope of Pittsburgh having a chance. And the score right now with two minutes to go is 42 to 21. And uh, to me, that's all she wrote, man. I think Kansas City just not – it's not really a statement win. They beat the worst team in the playoffs, but it was kind of like a reminder, like, see what we did to Pittsburgh. We coming for you next. And obviously – if it is Buffalo, which it should be, that AFC Championship rematch is going to be massive. Yeah, I mean, there's not really much else I could add. Really, I thought that that Travis Kelsey touchdown with about you know 15 seconds left in the first half, I th- thought that was a backbreaker for Pittsburgh. And then, really, I mean, just the floodgates just opened for them after that because... Casey just put it on him in the second half. I mean, Casey is just that good of a team, bro. Because Patrick Mahomes is playing at a supreme level right now. Travis Kelsey is playing like one of the best, if not the best tight end in the league right now. It's just there's so many weapons on the offensive side of the ball for Casey. It's going to be tough for any sort of defense to hang with them for 60 minutes against that type of talent. Now, as far as KC is concerned, the big matchup that's going to take place is in that divisional round against Buffalo. It's going to be a rematch of that AFC Championship game from last year. There's going to be a lot of eyes focused on that matchup because the one matchup that we saw with KC and Buffalo earlier in the season was Buffalo put it on KC in a pretty extensive way. They beat KC resoundingly in that away victory. I mean, beating them in KC, it's a pretty significant win for Buffalo back when it took place earlier in the season. But that was really when KC was kind of going through their struggles offensively. Just the team was not playing to the level that they wanted at that current moment in time. But they have really been putting it on them 
the last really the last two months or so. I mean, they finished as a two seed for the re- for the reason as they're the Kansas City Chiefs. They just go out there and dominate most of the teams they go up against. And with wins like this against Pittsburgh, granted, they already beat them down once. But to do it again and actually score more points in the process, bro, Casey is going to be tough to deal with moving forward. This team is definitely a Super Bowl contender as far as I'm concerned. And, bro, it just – the beat goes on with KC. I mean, if you could out – if you could outsling Patrick Mahomes – that's good on that's good on you, but Josh Allen is going to have a lot to work with uh, going up against Casey because Casey's playing some inspired football right now. Hey, the postseason continues. The division rounds up coming next. The road to the Super Bowl is going to be a good one, but mm-hmm. that about wraps it up for today's episode, guys. Obviously, that game's about to go final in about a minute or so. So, I mean, Kansas City will move on, and. Uh, that about closes out Wild Card Weekend outside of tomorrow's game. Kyle and I were thinking about a potential segment for tomorrow, but I don't think that's going to happen with both of our schedules and obviously the game ending at around 1130 or so. So we will yeah. just continue what we need to do uh, and see you guys again come Thursday. But as always, appreciate the support. Man, I got to say it. I got to give a huge shout out to my boy, Darth Tedward, man, a big streamer that I follow religiously took the time to really sit there and go and look at our videos on YouTube and give us some tips and tricks to really improve upon what we're working really hard to give you guys, whether that's thumbnail advice, description, um, anything he possibly could have huge, huge kudos to him. If you guys currently don't follow him on Twitch, go take a look. That is Darth Tedward, like Darth Vader and then Ted. So T E D word, uh, W A R D. Uh, funny content creator, plays with his wife all the time in terms of like playing video games. Um, he's funny on TikTok, makes some great uh, loadout class weapons for those of you that play Warzone and whatnot. But again, great guy, really fun stream to watch. A person that really took the time out of his personal stream to really give us some pointers. I really, really appreciated that. And I know that Kyle did too. So uh, big, big, big kudos to him, man. Oh, absolutely. Um. Yeah, I mean, just the, just the little things, little adjustments that that we'll make. Um, really, any sort of advice that we can get, um, I definitely appreciate that. You know, we still got a long way to go. We're still, you know, pretty young as far as like you know the age of the podcast is concerned, and uh, you know, really any sort of advice that we can get, we definitely appreciate that. Um, there's really not much else I could add. Um, that game between KC and Pittsburgh did go final. Um, Casey went, won that game by the score of 42 to 21. Bro, I think this is it for Big Ben. Um, go, goes down in a valiant effort, but um, unfortunately for him, I think that this is it. Um, I don't know if you agree on that, but with really with the, what's been read on the tea leaves so far, I, I think it kind of is trending in that fashion. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. I mean, we talked about it last episode. Um, so I'll say it again, great quarterback, great impact to the game. Obviously one of the final, what we like to call warriors of the game that played through injuries that I mean, like broken ribs, disclo- I mean, you name it, Ben did it. Um, probably one of the funniest quarterbacks I've ever seen in terms of how he moves. Um, obviously he was one of those weird quarterbacks who would pump really hard and you'd think somebody that slow or that tall wouldn't be that fast and Ben always found ways to get out of the pocket and really extend the play uh, with his arm and, of course, with his ability to move in the pocket. So uh, 
you know, Ben Roethlisberger, two-time Super Bowl champion, definitely a Hall of Famer in my eyes. And, uh, you know, he will be missed, but, you know, it's time for a new chapter in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see uh, what happens going into the offseason with Ben Roethlisberger. But, I mean, I think at this point, I think it's fair to say that he's probably played his last snap as a Pittsburgh Steeler. Time will tell on that. Um, I imagine at some point in the offseason, we'll get an update on his status. But um, if this happens to be it, um, you know, really just, you know, congrats on just an amazing career with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, two-time Super Bowl champion. Um, it's too bad he went up against competition like Tom Brady and Peyton Manning uh, during his career because if he had a slightly easier road um, not going up against those quarterbacks, he, he could potentially have three Super Bowl rings uh, on his belt. But um, even with that, Guy had a Hall of Fame career. He will be a Hall of Famer as far as I'm concerned. And um, unfortunately, he comes to uh, a bittersweet end uh, for Ben. But really, I mean, a, a fantastic career to say the least. Hey, it, uh, you know, time, just like we talked about before, time is getting everybody except for Tom. So it, it, it's about time. He's the final one of that class to kind of hang it up. And uh, like I said before, kudos to Ben, and we'll see what happens in terms of him actually making an, uh, an official announcement. But uh, I think he's done. Kyle thinks he's done, but we've been wrong before. Yep. So we'll definitely keep that. Uh, we'll keep that discussion open for another day. But Kevin, I, I, I think that pretty much wraps it up. Don't you think? Yes, sir. It's about time to uh, to hit the hay. Hopefully, most of you are off tomorrow for Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Uh, for those of you that aren't, I apologize, Kyle. Um, sorry, but so good. I'm gonna go be busy anyway, as if I had a full day of work anyway. So I'll be catching y'all later. Uh, we appreciate all the support, sub subscribers, liking, comments, anything you can bring to the table. We uh, we really value it, and uh, we'll be talking to you guys again soon. Yeah, um, you know, once again, whether you guys were listening to us on the audio platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Definitely appreciate you guys tuning in. If you guys watched us on YouTube, definitely appreciate you guys uh, tuning in to watch our episodes. You want to help support the channel in any way, shape, or form, hit that subscribe button, hit a like. We definitely appreciate the support. Um, we will see you guys later this week. We'll have another episode coming out. We'll focus on the divisional round of the NFL playoffs, so that should definitely be fun and any sort of NBA news that may pop up. We'll definitely cover that as well. But until then, you know, once again, just thank you guys for tuning in and we'll see you guys later this week. Electric acid. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wannabet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wannabet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric acid.